0: Good news here.
1: Bon appétit.
0: We are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud, And Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here in these spaces this morning, and we pray that you would give us your Holy Spirit of illumination. Give light, O Lord, to this, your very word. And as we access again the beginning of an ancient story, truly, Lord, would we find all of our hopes and fears come to rest and be bounded in this Christ child who grew, who died, who rose again into life. Would we know the welcome of grace here this morning, whether we come from positions of proximity or distance from you, do a gracious work here, bring us to yourself, push us out into the world as agents of your peace. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. One of the most common tropes or storylines that you'll find in literature, stories, and other things is the trope or the storyline of orphaned royalty. The orphaned royal. The lost prince or the lost princess. And it goes like this. The story might start where you meet this child who's in sad and meager circumstances, But this child is a lost princess or a lost prince who's discovered, who's seen. And this child turns out to be special and eventually is restored to the throne, and everyone lived happily ever after. These tropes will skew feminine, although not exclusively. Different riffs on these stories, so you have Anastasia or Rapunzel or Cinderella or The Princess Diaries. You also have something like Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Four, the original Star Wars movie. One of the ways that you can read Luke as a hero's journey, he is that lost prince, the chosen one. Mountains of young adult literature also revolve around this theme, the orphaned royal. And the reason that these stories are so captivating for us is that we say, hey, what if that could be me? we imagine ourselves there in the midst of our sad and meager lives what if i'm seen what if i'm special what if there's a better story out there people will say about star wars episode 4 with the reason that this movie works it's not the lightsabers it's not the millennium falcon it's not the x-wing fighters it's not Darth Vader, but it's that scene towards the end of Act One in Star Wars Episode Four, where you have Luke on Tatooine, just staring out into the horizon, and you see those two suns, right? That's the moment that gets us. We're in. We are on this journey, yearning with Luke, that maybe there is something more. Maybe this child is special. And perhaps this is the intent, perhaps, of what Matthew is seeking to do at the beginning of this gospel, this genealogy, this reading of Jesus' ancestors. And let's be honest, what did you think when I read through all of those names? Was it Star Wars to you, or to use a comparison, Spaceballs? For those of you that know the classic 80s comedy Mel Brooks, do you remember how Spaceball starts? It's a spoof on Star Wars, and at the beginning there's this spaceship going through space that flies through through the screen and it, going, and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going and you're sitting there wondering how long is this going to go on? When's it going to stop? quick sidebar, personal story for me, the longest sermon I ever preached was also my first sermon that I ever preached. I recommend that you not file that under best practices. And so midway through the sermon, there was an older woman at church. I was grew up in New Orleans, and I was preaching at my home church in New Orleans. And this older lady who was in early stage dementia, named Doris, midway through the sermon, started saying out loud, he's preaching so long. Why is he still talking? oh no, he's still going. And like I said, that was the midway point of the sermon. For the second half hour, Doris was complaining about how long I was preaching the the, the whole time. On, On the way home, I said to my mom, mom, can you believe old Doris? And my mom said, Jim, she was only saying what everybody was thinking. That was a really, really, long sermon. So maybe as I was reading out this genealogy, you had some Doris moments where you were saying, oh no, he's serious. He really is going to read every name on this whole entire long passage. But Matthew is after something different here. He's telling the story of the ancestry of Jesus. And he's saying that Jesus is the orphaned royalty. He is the lost prince. He is the true king. And so from this backwater town and humble origins, here we have Jesus of Nazareth, David's true son. And this genealogy is also an invitation for all of us. Whether you come here this morning, As a committed follower of Jesus, not sure where you are with such things, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're wondering, could this be me? Hear this invitation to join the royal story. In the midst of what you might consider to be your meager and or sad life, by God the Father and in Jesus the Son, you are seen. And by faith, as you come to this Jesus, you are placed in a special story, the story. What if in this Advent season we're able to look up and look ahead and say, because Jesus has come, because Jesus is our Emmanuel, there is, and we are part of, a better story. So three parts from here. From the genealogy Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, let's talk majesty, let's talk messiness, and let's talk hopefulness. So, majesty. Like I said before I read this sermon passage, we're doing four Sundays for the four Sundays of Advent. Walking through the beginning of Matthew's gospel, this is the Christmas story. We have primarily two versions in the scriptures of the Christmas story from Matthew and also from the Gospel of Luke. This is Matthew's version. Four sermons. Wise guys, wise men, and Emmanuel. And if you were writing a story like this, is this the way that you would start it? If you really want to grab people's attention, to get their undivided force of thought right from the beginning, to grab them by the heart, you probably would not start with a long list of names. But back in this ancient context, it was very typical and considered majestic, magisterial, to start a biography of a very important person in exactly this way. This person, whoever it is, is so important that I'm gonna give you a whole genealogy about this person because where you're from is very important. So actually, if you wanna understand this long list of names, this genealogy from the Gospel of Matthew, it's not Spaceballs, it's actually Star Wars, after all. And remember how you watch the beginning of Star Wars movies, where you get that fanfare, and then you get that crawl. It's like this: you settle down into the theater, house lights down, and then you hear the fanfare music. Da you're there, right? You're in! And the sad part is, for like the last 20 years, that's the best part of the Star Wars movie. It's all downhill from there. But it grabs you. You say, I want to be a part of this story. I want to be in. So read the beginning of Matthew's genealogy like this Star Wars crawl, this yellow text. Because Matthew here is saying, it is all about this Jesus. He is the chosen one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, he is the chosen one, he is the Christ. And I've said before in sermons, if you were living back then in ancient Palestine and you wanted to give Jesus a call and you look in the phone book, you would not look for Jesus under C, because Christ is not a last name, it's a title, actually a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Meshiach, Messiah. In Greek, it's Christos, the chosen one, the anointed one, the true son of Abraham and David. God promised through Abraham all of those years ago, and you, all the nations of the earth, will be blessed. And God told David, Far from now, I will place on your throne a descendant who will rule forever. And it's Jesus. And you see, for most Israelites, for most Jewish people in this ancient context, most, if not all, would have unless you're a proselyte, would have traced your genealogy back to Abraham. He was the father of the Jewish people. But far fewer of you would have traced your lineage specifically back to David, King David. That's actually a lot more specific. And the problem is, if you're reading this in the first century in the ancient Near East, hearing about King David is actually a pretty problematic thing. The monarchy ain't what it used to be in ancient Judea at this time. You see over and over again in Matthew chapter 1 talk of the deportation to Babylon. About 500 years, give or take, before this story was written, before Jesus came to earth, the southern kingdom of Israel, Judea, Judah was exiled and deported to Babylon. And things never really returned back to normal. After 50 years, this part of the nation was resettled, But the temple was rebuilt, but it really wasn't quite as good as the older temple before that, and the monarchy was never really restored-ish. Sure, you had the Herods, Herod the Great, he's the wise guy in the story, but Herod was not fully Jewish, and he was certainly not of royal blood, and he was really nothing more than a puppet ruler of the Roman Empire at that time, So on those terms, it's actually pretty risky for Matthew to be making this claim that the real king of Israel has returned to his throne. And for Jesus of Nazareth, Matthew is saying here that Jesus is not just one of the members of this royal family, but he's the culmination. He's the climax. He is what everything has been driving towards this whole time. He takes a pretty typical formula, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and that formula goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. And we had one of them in Genesis chapter 2 last week. These are the generations of. And typically when you're giving a gene- genealogy, these are the generations of, or this is the book of the genealogy, you start with a figure and then list all of the descendants afterwards. But this genealogy which we would not catch as modern readers, but if you were an ancient Israelite reading, you would have caught this. There's Jesus and and then a list of all of his ancestors. Jesus is not the starting point of any of this per se, but he is the climax. Everything is driving towards this Jesus. Matthew takes a typical genealogy and flips it completely on its head. It's not, who are all of the descendants? It's not, Jesus, where are you from? But in effect, all of these ancestors are depending upon Jesus for their full meaning. It's not, Jesus, where are you from? It's asking the question of all of the rest of these people, where are you going? To whom are you pointing? And that it is King Jesus. And whether then or now, I get it it's hard to believe that the king would return. In ancient Israel at that time, in ancient Judea, the kingship is a whole farce. And tales of King David and all of those ancient kings by then are fairy tales almost, maybe to the popular imagination. And you're wondering, is any of this God stuff real? Will the king truly return? And then our own lives, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus, are you truly king over all of this mess? In the midst of our sad and meager lives, is there any light? Or as we're celebrating here at the beginning of this Advent season, week one, is there any hope? But Matthew is telling us here, in Jesus, you too are royal. That's why we're fascinated with royalty around the world. Take the British crown. The UK monarchy, whether it's a few years ago with the King's Speech or the TV series The Crown or the movie Spencer coming out right now with Kristen Stewart, at least part of it for us is what if it's me? What if I can be a part? As we take steps towards Jesus Christ, we are brought up into this better story. So at what point might your life seem meager? seem sad, seem low. Let Jesus bring you up, because truly he is majesty. But there's also some messiness connected with this story, too. So as we read through all of these names, there are actually some surprises, as you understand what Matthew's doing here as well. One of the surprises is that there's women in this genealogy. And it's kind of like this. It's not that women in ancient Jewish genealogies were never in there, We have the four women here, however, and it's Tamar. You can go back and read her story. She was a daughter-in-law of Judah, one of the 12 sons of Israel from Genesis. And then you also have Rahab, who helped the spies at Jericho. You also have Ruth. A whole book is named after her, and we did the book of Ruth last Advent season. And then we also have Bathsheba. Like I said, Mr. Googly is your friend if you want to go back and learn more about these figures. Typically, women were not included in these genealogies unless the specific women named would add to the purity and prestige of the line. So, if we were expecting Matthew maybe to put in a couple of women and he names in this genealogy Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, maybe we would have received Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, the wives, respectively, of those three patriarchs. But no. Nothing wrong with those specific women, but Matthew is going in a different direction. This is irregular. This is messy. And to a person, these four women named, they're not Jewish people at all. They're Gentiles. And they're messy in other ways as well, including morally. Rahab helped the ancient Israelites, but she was a prostitute. And if you go back and check out the stories of Tamar and of Bathsheba, they're they're stories of Sexual aggression and sexual violence, and these were stories that were remembered in the Israelite imagination with shame. And you might actually be wondering, "Wait a second, where I see Ruth, I see Rahab, I see Tamar. Where is, Beth- where is Bathsheba listed in this genealogy? We'll look again at the end of verse six and see what Matthew does. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Now, she's not named. And at first glance, this might be, on Matthew's part, an avoidance of Bathsheba. It's actually an accusation towards David. Yes, David, with Bathsheba, had a son, Solomon. But we remember, after all, that Bathsheba was first the wife of Uriah. And if you remember the story, David glimpsed Bathsheba bathing, had Uriah, who was a soldier in his army, killed, and then took Bathsheba for himself. These are messy stories. And even David himself, not purely of Israelite blood. Ruth, the Moabite, was his grandmother, and so on. But Matthew takes these messy aspects of the genealogy and practically flaunts them and says, this is Jesus' family. It's messy, morally and otherwise. And that's how we like it. This is not a family that we're ashamed of, but this is a great family. This is a glorious family. Martin Luther, the 16th century church leader, said this about this passage. Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Jesus looks at this genealogy. Jesus looks at his children around the world, the church, And says, these are my people. Sure, they're messed up. Sure, they sin a lot. And this is why the family is messy before a holy God. I've died for them. I've shed my precious blood for them, like Joanna was talking about earlier in the service. I've paid the penalty for their sin. I've forgiven them. I have renewed them. I am bringing them forward to a big family reunion at the end of time when I'll be king forever and the new heavens and new earth are here. This is my messy family, and I love it that way. And just as Advent should bring us up, it should also push us out because the messiness of God's family should push us forward into mission into engaging with other people. And I've, I've given this quote from Martin Luther about the family tree before. Let me give you a fuller version that I don't think I've shared with you. Christ is the kind of person who is not ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Martin Luther goes on, and he says this in a little bit of a rough-and-tumble way, but he was a rough-and-tumble pastor in a rough-and-tumble time. Now, if the Lord does that here in this passage, so ought we to despise no one but put ourselves right in the middle of sinners and help them. What Luther is saying here is if Jesus is not afraid or ashamed to have sinners in his family tree, because we're all sinners, then you go and make friends with him, and more of them. Be in the midst of messiness yourself as agents of the peace and reconciliation of Jesus Christ this Advent season, this December. Maybe you've been doing December for a long time. Maybe the Advent rhythm is new to you. Maybe you're contemplating coming under the Lordship of Jesus and doing this Advent thing for the first time. Do it differently this year. What can you do different and better? For example, financially. Why don't you buy less and give more? That's the equivalent of talk less and smile more, only with money. Be more generous with your finances. Or maybe in this Advent season, you can build relationships, and you know, it's not going to be start to finish, Alpha to Omega in this specific Advent season, maybe build relationships with people that are different from you, that just aren't the same cookie cutter, okay, I'm going to be in community with people that are exactly like me, look at how inclusive I'm being. No, instead, actually cross some tracks, cross some barriers, and be more intentional with relationships to say, Jesus crossed the barrier of heaven to earth with me, of God to humanity for me. Therefore, I'm going to do my relationships a little bit differently and a little bit better as the messiness of Jesus' family tree pushes us out in mission and also hopefulness. What are you bringing into this Advent? What are you bringing into December? For some of us, there's firsts. For some of us, there's lasts. For me, one of my favorite Christmas ornaments, and soon at Casa Anger, we're going to get out. It's a natural Christmas tree, all natural, that's been in our basement for about a year. We're going to get that back out, and we're going to set it up all again, get out all of the ornaments. And I don't often cry when I receive Christmas presents, primarily because I usually, I'm my own gifter, so I buy myself Christmas presents most of all, and it would just be narcissistic for me to cry when I'm opening presents that I've wrapped for myself. But one that I didn't get for me was from my parents in 1999, first Christmas after we got married, and my parents got for Emily and me this little pewter ornament with the engraving, Jim and Emily's First Christmas 1999. It was such a sweet gift from my parents and it's totally an Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade thing where the real Holy Grail is just beat up and doesn't look anything good. It's just this beat up little ornament, blink and you'll miss it on our tree. But that's a special one. Maybe you're celebrating firsts or something new or new horizons that are opening up and it's filling you with hope. Maybe there are some lasts. I wonder. About a month ago, I threw, my, my mom would, th- would buy me clothes for years. About a month ago, as far as I know, I threw away the last item of clothes that my mom ever bought for me. The last thing wore out as she de- declines into Alzheimer's. And this might be her last Christmas. And so for me, I'm contemplating this season of lasts. Maybe there are some potential lasts, at least for you. Whether it is death or decline or illness. What about for you for this Advent season? You're shaking the magic eight ball and it comes back not great bob on the horizon for things like family situations or marriages or financial situations or job situations or world situations. Come to this Jesus for hope because Jesus is both a climax and a beginning. A climax for sure. The genealogy ends in verse 17. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Now, an ancient reader would have known right off the bat, this is stylized accounting right here. It was a lot more than 14 generations and all of these gaps. Matthew the writer knew that too, but was making a theological point. Three 14s. Three, seven times two, seven, the number of completeness. Jesus is the complete fulfillment of all of God's promises, but then also a beginning. And I love how the beginning of Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter one correlates and bookends with the very end of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew chapter 28, the very end, it's been called the Great Commission, where Jesus says there, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. We see Jesus' majesty. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. We see Jesus' mission. You know who's messy? Gentiles. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then also, Emmanuel. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the sermon passage for next Sunday, Eric Mitchell is going to be preaching, including when the angel says, and you will call this Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us very last words of Jesus from the end of his gospel, surely I am with you always. I'm still here. Which means the invitation is ongoing. God is at work in the midst of your meagerness, in the midst of your messiness to redeem, to give grace. The Holy Spirit is at work now in this Advent season to bring you up, to push you out, and to move you forward. What if in this Advent season, by faith in this Jesus, you would be more hopeful and more present than ever before? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post Sunday blues, a preaching post mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon, live, speak, and serve at